Father, we just thank you so much for this day. This is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we thank you that every second of every day is planned out by you to accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives. Well, we're going to see that today in the life of David, and Dan talked about it this morning in, in his sermon, um, how everything, even the things that we see as as being trials are for our good and custom made by you to accomplish your purpose in our lives. And Lord, we believe that, and we, we take assurance in the fact that you are in control of these things. Now, Lord, we, we commit this hour to you. We ask that you would open our hearts to your word. Let your spirit teach us what we need during this time, and we'll give you the honor and the glory for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Still in Second Samuel. Got a little review, and then we will be getting into Second Samuel 18. I wish that we had to go time to go through this verse by verse, but unfortunately in a survey type course we we have to hit some of the highlights and go through and hopefully you will, will fill in the blanks. But we've seen the progression as God leads his people that one story that started in Genesis one and will go all the way through. And we saw how God uh, brought his people out of the time of the judges. He established Samuel as his man during that time to, uh, to lead them, to encourage them. And I believe that God's perfect will would have been for Samuel to fill in until such time as David came on the throne. I say God's perfect will. Obviously, God knew what was going to happen. But the people rebelled and they were determined that they wanted their own their own king. And they wanted him to be like the world. Okay? And so they were determined and God said, Okay, you can have him. That's what you want. God gave them warning as to what to expect. And they still went ahead and, and um, demanded him. So we see that, that Saul came on the track and, and Saul was exactly what God warned them that he would be. Okay? He was, uh, had a rebellious heart. He was selfish. He was determined to have his way. And so the people were under that, that bondage that they had with Saul. But now we're seeing where God's timing has come now to bring his king, to bring David onto the scene, the plan that God had had all along. And so God, in Second Samuel 7, we looked at it last week, God chose his man. God chose Samuel to, because he knew that Samuel's heart was, was uh, the same as God's and that he would be his man. So God, David was a man after God's own heart. And we talked last week, one of the reasons I think that, that David got that designation as being a man after God's own heart was the fact that David had a shepherd's heart 
just like God did. You know, God reveals himself to us over and over in Scripture. He, he takes the claim of, of the, the uh, claims to be our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? And this goes a long, long way in helping us understand God's heart, God's desires for us, and God's commitment to us. So he's raised up this man, David, who he calls a, a man after his own heart. And there in Ezekiel 34, we saw last week that God said, I will deliver my flock, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, he will feed them himself, uh, he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Here we go, God's bringing his shepherd in. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God's bringing his man on the scene to represent him, and he's saying that he's going to be the shepherd. So last week we saw um, God's anointing on David's life. Okay, uh, Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the Lord was with him. The greatest asset that David had in his life was the fact that God was with him. Same for us today. He could not do anything that God did not provide him, uh, want him to do. But he was open. He was willing to be used to the Lord. He was willing to be shaped by the Lord. So we saw that, that God anointed David. We saw that God prepared David from the sheepfold to the powers. You know, he takes this, this rough-hewn kid out of, the, out of the sheepfold, and he's going to put him in the powers as his, his man, as his, as his godly king. Then we saw that he guided, equipped, and enabled David to face some of the challenges that he was going to face. He had to face uh, Goliath. Okay, he gave David the ability to see, and this was key, he gave David the ability to see through God's eyes in order to be able to face some of these giants that he was going to be facing. Okay. You remember he... Um, uh, well, I've got a verse there that we'll cover it. Um, under number five, it says that um, when, when David was coming against Goliath, the nation of, of Israel was cowering down, remember, before this giant. They were scared to death of him. Okay? They were looking at it through the eyes of what they thought they could do, what they could accomplish. But God graced David so that he could see Goliath through God's eyes and through what God promised. So he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So David was equipped so that he could, could see situations from God's perspective. If you were in service this morning early you heard Dan share about Elizabeth Martinez and her bout with her cancer if you're going into the second service you'll hear it then well here is a little lady who 
has been devastated by cancer and just this week told that she probably has just a matter of weeks to live and yet she is in absolute victory because she's seeing this challenge through God's eyes. She was praying over and over during this week. People tell me, even when I was not there, people would tell me uh, being with her while she was praying. And she's thanked God over and over and over for his kindness to her. For his kindness. Now here's a lady who, who, who's looking at dying, you know, in maybe in the next month, maybe the next two months. She's tremendous pain. And yet God has equipped her to see through his eyes what the real reality is, what the truth is. And I think that's what we're going to see in the life of David. We, we have seen it, and we're going to see it even more uh, this morning. Every man or woman used of God experiences equipping and pruning of his hand. Each experience is designed and controlled by him to prepare us to be able to accomplish his perfect plan for our lives. Even the seemingly bad circumstances he turns to our good. You know, we, we're very familiar with Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together. You know, Genesis 50, we're familiar with that, with Joseph. You know, you meant it to me for bad, but God, you know, meant it for good. So even the circumstances that come at us that seem to be bad, God changes those to accomplish what he wants in our lives. God works through process, works in process and through means. There are times that God will supernaturally work a miracle in someone's life. But normally he's going to work through a process, the normal process, through the normal means to accomplish his will. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the life of David. Okay? We're going to see where God, you know, God calls him. He's God's man. He's in God's right where God wants him at the time God wants him there. And he's going to go through all kind of problems, all kind of challenges, right in the middle of God's will. For Job, it was the loss of everything but a nagging wife. God providentially working in his circumstances to prepare him for what God wanted to do. For Joseph, it was being falsely accused and spending years in jail. For Moses, it was 40 years in the desert. For Hannah, it was years of barrenness and ridicule. You remember how her sister-in-law ridiculed her and was, was on top of her all the time because she didn't have a child. For Saul of Tarsus, uh, God told him that he was a jo chosen instrument, but then he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. A chosen instrument, exactly where God wanted him to be, that God called him to suffer. And there's 2 Corinthians. Um, we don't have time to look at all of that, but it lists off the life-threatening things that Saul had experienced. You know, beaten so many times, you know, with 49 lashes shipwrecked and, and all the things that are listed there. So for David, 
this process starts out with the simple life of a shepherd. And God greatly used his time as a shepherd to mold his life into what God wanted it to be. But we're going to see that God quickly expands the challenges that he allows and he brings into David's life. Again, it's to prepare him to rule as a righteous king. Okay? Again, you know, God could have snapped his fingers and David would have had everything in his life that he needed for every circumstance. But he doesn't do that. He works through these processes. And when we have to go through these things, we wonder why we're having to do it. Why am I suffering through this? Lord? Why, why is this happening? It's God's process. You know, it's God's process of working us and preparing us. In chapter 18, I'm in John. I hope you're doing better than I am this morning. Um, chapter 18, we're going to pick up with David and his relationship with Saul because what we want to see this morning, that we want to see two tools that God used in Saul's life to shape him, okay? One of those was Saul in a very negative, what looks to us like a very negative way. The other one will be Jonathan, who was his comrade who came alongside him, his blessing from the Lord. But we know that God brought David into Saul's life at the time when God had removed his spirit from Saul, an evil spirit, we talked about this last week, an evil spirit from the Lord, had been sent to somewhat torment Saul again to work in his life what God knew he needed. So what started off as a very good relationship, they called David in, of course David had killed Goliath, Saul knew him from that, but then they called Saul in to, to, to play the harp, to sing, to soothe, called David in to soothe Saul. Did I say the wrong one? Got too many men's names in my called in David to soothe Saul during these times. And at first it was great. We're going to see in a minute where Saul greatly loved him. But as God started working in that situation and in the circumstances, we're going to find that, that Saul rose up against David. Saul, well, first off, was afraid of David. One of the reasons was that the Lord was with him. It says the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. And, you know, when someone is out of the will of God, they're not real happy around somebody who's obeying God, are they? Have you ever been in that situation? You know, maybe you're not doing quite what God wants you to do, and, you know, you come along, Johnny, meet Johnny, and Johnny's just on top of everything because he's just on fire for the Lord, and he's obeying, and, hey, you're conscious. You know, you've been there, I've been there, you've all been there, you know. Well, that's apparently what was going on with was Saul. David was with, with, the Lord was with David. He was prospering, and um, Saul didn't like that. So he went from that to, again, uh, uh, number two, Saul was prospering his ways. David didn't like that. And then all of Israel and Judah loved Saul over David. 
remember in uh, chapter 18, verse 7, David was coming back in from a, from a triumph with the Philistines. And it says, And the women sang as they played, uh, as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Oh, Saul didn't like that. Okay. Here's the king. And this kid is getting more glory than he is. Now, for someone who's rightly related to the Lord, that's not a big deal. But to somebody who's, who's looking out for themselves, looking out for number one, who selfishly is, you know, wanting what he wants, uh, that didn't come across very well. So once again, there's a, there's a, a riff coming between Saul and David. And then to make matters even worth, worse, in chapter 20, we find out that Saul's son Jonathan was favoring David over his own father. Okay. So, again, God is used, going to use these circumstances, okay, even in David's life, to, to prepare him for what he wants. Because of these things happening, because of these circumstances, because Saul was afraid of David, his attitude towards him really started to change. In chapter 16, verse 21, we said a few minutes ago, Saul loved him greatly. But then when the people started ascribing more victory to him, to Saul than to David, to David than Saul, Saul looked on him with suspicion. And then scripture says from there it, it digressed to where Saul was afraid of David. Then he dreaded him. And finally, in chapter 20, he comes to the conclusion, David must die. Okay? David must die. So here's a man, David, who is doing his best. God has put him in this circumstance. You know, he's, he's ministering to, to Saul. He's doing everything he knows to do. And the circumstances are mounting against him. Okay. Ever been in a situation like that? You know, where you're right where you know God wants you. You're walking in obedience and yet there are things coming your way, hours coming your way. Saul was committed to killing David but he couldn't touch him. He was in God's perfect place of protection. But, you know, we can't look at our circumstances and say, well, Lord, you know, I'm here. I'm, as far as I know, I'm where you want me to be. So why is all this negative stuff happening to me? You know, we've got to realize, we've got to grow to the point of realizing that God is so sovereignly in control that even these negative things, if they come our way, they're part of God's hand. And we'd have to trust them, even when they're uncomfortable for us. You know, I need a great big mirror up here so that I can talk to myself and say, oh, man. So this hostility grows against, against Saul to the point that in in. First Samuel, we have ten instances 
where Saul tries to take his life. Saul tries to take David's life. He is so opposed to him. Uh, chapter 18, I'm just going to read through a few of these, um, not in detail, but just to document them. Chapter 18, verse 11 says, And uh, Saul hurled a spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David, David escaped uh, from his presence twice. And so here's David being obedient to what God wants him to do. He's playing the fiddle for Saul to try to calm him down. Saul's out to kill him. Verse 17. Um, in that, that case, we saw, verse 17 says, And Saul said to David, Here is my oldest daughter, Merib, I guess it is. I will give you to her as a wife. Only be a valiant man and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, uh, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So in this situation, he's going to send David out to war, hoping that the Philistines will kill him off. You think David got any inspiration from that concept? That's what he did with Uriah, wasn't it? Eighteen twenty-five again. Um, Saul then said, "You shall say to David, the king does not desire a dowry." I can't have. He was trying to get Saul to marry one of Saul, David to marry one of Saul's daughters, and he says, "I'm not worthy. I don't have a dowry." He said, "The king does not desire a dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies." Now Saul planned to t to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Over and over, we see the circumstances where God is allowing Saul the freedom to test David. Over and over. And yet David is, we, we see as we go through, and I just wish that we had time to go through each one of these in detail, but we don't. But in each of these, you can see David growing. You can see his 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 patience, his yielding of his rights, his uh, his endurance, his building—all of these things, these qualities that God knows that He's going to need as King. And you remember the two instances where uh, God seemingly delivered Saul into David's hand, once in the cave, and then one time in the um, in the camp, where David and one of the men went down into the camp, and Saul was sleeping there, and David picked up the spare from him. Could so easily have killed him. You know? Could so easily have justified revenge on this man who was keeping David from doing God's will. You know, could he justify that? David's God's will is that David be king. So why shouldn't David take you know? But David didn't do that. God David was willing to leave it all in God's hands. He said that he could not put forth his hand against God's anointed. David was learning endurance. He was learning patience. He was learning to yield his rights and everything that he had to wait on God. And those were the lessons that he needed to learn. You know, how many times as a king would he be called on to yield rights and to endure and to, to, to walk by faith and to trust God? 
so there were attempts on David's life. But then, um, thankfully, even as God was allowing Saul to be his enemy and was working through Saul, God allowed a young man to come next, come alongside of David by the name of Jonathan, who was a tremendous help to him, okay, was to minister to his spirit uh, while all of this was going on. Now, we'll back up just a little bit to on some of the things we've already covered on Jonathan, just to remind us of, of where he was at in the scheme of things and the type of person that he was. Um, first off, Jonathan was, uh, Jonathan supported his, his father, King Saul. You know, even um, back in, the, in chapter 13, where we, when we were back there, we were t found out that, that uh, Jonathan went out in battle against the Philistines for his father. He was part of his father's army. In fact, he was apparently, one commentator said that he was like, apparently uh, in charge of like a third of Saul's army. He was well up in the, in the ranks. He was a man who was submissive to his father's authority. Okay, he was obedient to him. And, um, and we see him starting out there. And even as you work through the situation where there was this conflict between Saul and, and David, and when um, David, when Saul was trying to even kill David, and Saul could not agree with that, could not back that, we see that even then that Saul was in submission to the authority. He didn't revile his father. He didn't rebel against him. There were things that his father told him to do that he couldn't do. But he was willing to be submissive to his father. And even, I thought it was really interesting, you go to the end of 1 Samuel where David and, and Jonathan and his other son are killed. Chapter 31, 1 Samuel. And there is, there is um, Jonathan still in his father's army, still serving his father. You know, even after all the, the years that had gone by that his father tried to, to hurt David, Jonathan was still honoring that position. He was honoring that authority in his life. But we see that Jonathan was a man who was under authority. Okay, He was a man who, who supported the authorities in his life. He supported the king. He supported his father. But even more than that, and what I think really equipped him the most to be able to, to serve David, to come alongside of David, was Jonathan's focus and his trust, uh, that his focus and his trust were in the Lord. And we saw this previously when the Philistine ra raiders came in, 30,000 chariots, you remember, 6,000 horsemen, men like the sand of the seashore, coming in against them. Saul had, what, 600 men. And yet God allowed Jonathan to see the truth in that situation. Just like he allowed David to see um, the, um, the victory that he could give him uh, by faith. We see that, that Saul and his, excuse me, Jonathan and his armor bearer, you remember, crossed over into the Philistine camp. So has this horde of people coming down on him. 
Jonathan says that the Israelites were hiding in caves. They were deserting. They were going one way or the other. Jonathan says, listen, says, we can cross over to the garrison of the Philistines and we can, God will work for us. God is not restrained to save by many or by few. So Jonathan and his armor bearer got up. They went into the camp and God graciously worked for them to where they routed, these two men routed the entire army of the Philistines. And the scripture says that that day the Lord delivered Israel and he used these two men who had the faith to believe that God could do the impossible. And that's the kind of man that David needed by his side. God was allowing the test. God was allowing the challenges in David's life. But he brought alongside of him a man who had that kind of faith and that kind of vision. And you know, often God will do that for us. Right when we're in the midst of, of a tremendous trial, you know, God will allow, God will bring someone into our life who will minister to us, someone who will help us to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and keep us going. And Jonathan was to be that man. If you look in chapter 18, verse 1, at Jonathan's commitment to David. Now, Jonathan has, has just, excuse me, David has just slain Goliath. Saul has, was trying to find out who he was so that he could bless him the way that he had wanted to, had promised to. And so it says now in chapter 18, it says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, when David had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. So, you know, instantly when, when, when David and, and, um, and Jonathan met there in the presence of Saul, there was a tremendous bond between these two men. You know, a tremendous bond that God obviously put into their heart. Okay, um, And so there was a commitment not only between them as friends, but also their commitment together to the Lord. And the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Now, Jonathan was, was paying quite a price, wasn't he, to befriend David? He was laying aside his chance to rule, his chance to be the king of, of Israel one day. But it had to be that Jonathan, again, with spiritual insight, could see God's hand working. Because Jonathan gave David his robe, armor, including his sword, his belt, his bow. All of these were symbols of his royalty and authority. 
giving them to David, he was acknowledging that one day David would take his place on the throne. So Jonathan's commitment to David was very costly to him. He knew that he would would be giving his rights, many of his rights, over to, to him. By faith, Jonathan made himself the lesser in this relationship, even yielding his rights as crown prince to David. And again, this could only have been done uh, through seeing as God sees and the willing submission to God's will and to God's way. That was a whole lot more of a commitment than most than we're called on today to make. But God knew that, that David needed someone to stand by him. And so he gave Jonathan a heart to make this kind of commitment. I wanted to, this really doesn't fit specifically anywhere, but I thought it was very interesting in doing some reading this week. You know, in my own eyes, I usually see Jonathan and David as young men, 20s, so-and-so. But one, um, one commentator mentioned that it was probable that there was as much as 25, 28 years difference in their age because of Jonathan being established as a leader in the military and other things. And, and I can't prove this. I don't know if that's right or wrong. But they were talking about the fact that there's a very good chance there was a good age difference between these men. Not that that makes any difference, but I thought it was interesting to, to see. Jonathan was willing to do God's will, to be God's protector, to be God's provision in the life of David, which is exactly what David needed and God wanted. And also we see that uh, we see Jonathan's protection of David at times when, when Saul was ready to take David's life, Jonathan would step into the middle of it. Uh, 19, 3 through 7 says, my, uh, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. I will speak to my father, and if I find out anything, I will let you know. Okay? David, Jonathan, excuse me, Saul was seeking to kill David. Jonathan went to bat for him. Jonathan interceded. Jonathan went to the father and sounded him out. And when he found out what was truly going on, he went and told David. He protected him from it. Again in chapter 20, he says, If indeed, if I should indeed find out that evil has been decided by my father I, um, to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? So that commitment that he makes, he's following through. That commitment to protect David, uh, is, he's, he's following through on that. And um, he's putting his life on the line. He's putting his career, as it was, his future on the line. Because of his love for David, but most important, because of his commitment to God. He wouldn't have done all of this just for a friend. But he had to see God's will being worked out in this situation. And he was more committed to that than anything else. You know, scripture talks about loving God more than our, what our family, our brothers, our sisters, our mother, even. This was part of his commitment to him. 
And then in chapter 20, we see a covenant between these two men. And we're going to find out that it's not really like a covenant when we speak of covenant with Abraham or covenant with Moses, but this, this is a covenant between these men, a very special bond of commitment and protection. Now, uh, Dale Davis, one of the commentators, says, a covenant involves firm, emphasis on firm promises and firm commitments. That is why in his uncertainty and in his pillar-to-post fighting, David turned to Jonathan. Jonathan was a stronghold, strong, strong, I don't want to use the word stronghold because that's usually negative, but he was a stronghold for him. There was a covenant, a bastion of certainty, a safe haven in a dangerous and helter-skelter time. In David's disintegrating world, there was yet one space of sanity, one refuge still intact, and that was Jonathan. You know, David, every time David turned around, somebody was trying to kill him. You know, somebody was trying to do something against him. But God allowed him to have this friendship, this commitment in David that, that, was, his, that was his strength. This is what he could run to. It says, in David's disintegrating world, there was yet one space of sanity, one refuge still intact, and that was Jonathan. Now we can use, we can change the names in that statement. Put our own in there. You know? In David's, or in Joe's disintegrating world, there was yet one space of sanity, one refuge still intact, Jesus Christ. And that's our assurance today. You know? Elizabeth, Elizabeth's world is coming apart. You know? It isn't because she's saved, but in, from the world standpoint, her world is disintegrating. You know, she, she has she has no hope in doctors, no hope in drugs, no hope in family, no hope in anything that the world offers. You know? And yet there is one space of sanity in her life, one refuge that's still intact, and that's her God. You know, she lays on her bed with her arms extended out and praises God for his, his kindness to her. Her body is eaten up with cancer. And she sees it as kindness to her. That's because God is giving her the spiritual insight to realize what the truth really is. If Jonathan could see what the truth was, David could see what the truth was, and Elizabeth can see what the truth is. It's just awesome to see how God works. There was a covenant. There David could expect devoted love. In that covenant, there was as he states it, 
a bastion of certainty, a safe haven, and a dangerous and helter-skelter time. And if all of us, if we haven't faced it already, we're going to face it sometime. And just as God was there for David, he's going to be there for us. Guarantees it. So Jonathan, chapter 20, verse 8, Jonathan has some requests to make of David. Jonathan can see sort of the handwriting on the wall. He knows what's happening. He knows what's coming. And he makes some requests of David. Chapter 20, verse 8. He says, Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And he goes on, and he's, he's saying, he's, he's, he's appealing to David to deal first off kindly with him. So he knows that Saul is going to be going down. He knows that his whole family is going to be going down. He says, David, will you deal kindly with me because of this covenant that, that we have together? And then in verse 14, he goes one step further. He says, if I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord um, that I may not die. And then in 15 he says, and shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. For even if the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So he's asking for himself, but then he's also asking that David would be kind to his house, to his descendants. And next time we get together, not in December, I think it is, when we get together again in Samuel, we're going to see that this is fulfilled in Mephibosheth. One of Samuel's heirs that David's going to look back on on this covenant and he's going to promise, and his promise to be faithful, to be to, um, to not cut off the house of, of Saul, of uh, Jonathan. And we're going to see that fulfilled. And then lastly, he says in 23 verse 7, he talks about the fact that, that um, while David will be king over Israel, Jonathan asks for the right to reign next to him, which David grants, but of course uh, uh, Jonathan is killed before that can actually come to pass. But th- these are just some little insights into the, the covenant agreement that that David and Jonathan had between themselves. So so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Jonathan made David vow again because of his great love for him, because he loved him uh, even as he loved his own life, more than he loved his own life. And because the Lord, he said, was between you and me forever. This was not an agreement, a covenant, like you think in terms of the major covenants in Scripture. But this was an agreement between two men and the bond of that covenant was their love for God and their commitment to God and being what God wanted them to be. The covenant agreement was made between two friends. There is no mention of the offering of a covenant sacrifice or signing of a covenant document. It wasn't God's will that David permanently joined himself to Saul and his family, for they belonged to a rejected and condemned monarchy. 
just a quick oversight this morning, overview of the lives of these two men. God had David on track to be his man, to be his king, to accurately represent him as a righteous king to the to his people. But God had to do a real work in his life, a hurtful work at times, to prepare David for that. He has to do the same for us. You know, when you read chapter 16, we've got a, a green kid out in the sheepfolds in the country. And in chapter 20, you've got a man who's ready to step in as the king of Israel. And during that time, God has worked in his life. God has brought disciplines into his life that will serve him for the rest of his life and serve the nation for the rest of his life. David and Jonathan were both men of God. God's men created, molded, and fashioned into vessels of honor, sanctified, useful to their master, and prepared for every good work. You know, we may never reign as kings or queens or whatever, but, you know, God's got a plan for our life. He's got a purpose for everything, everything that he allows into our life. And things that he allows today, the challenges that we have, may seem senseless to us, but they're all part of his master our lifetime, we may never be able to see exactly why things happened the way they did. But we can rest assured that um, that, that it, uh, it was for God's good. It was for God's good. So my hands good. Seeing Jim and uh, Damon and Jen here this morning reminds me of a of a true story, Columbia Bible College in Charleston, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's a very good Bible college. And many years ago, the man who ended up founding that college felt the call to missions. And so he, they did everything they needed to do. They sold everything. They put all their eggs in one basket. They... Um, were ready, ready to sail. In fact, the night before they were to sail, 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 they took all of their belongings. Oh, I shouldn't be talking. Y'all might want to leave the room on this. I didn't. They put all their belongings on the ship, and overnight a storm came up, and that ship sunk. And everything that they owned was gone. Everything that they had planned for was gone. But instead of going overseas, instead of going to the mission field, this guy founded Columbia Bible College. And at that, he had, they have trained and sent hundreds of missionaries to the field since that time. So, you know, we don't know, but it's, it's all, I mean, what to them seemed like the biggest disaster probably of their life turned out to be the greatest thing that God could do for them. And their ministry was expanded far, far beyond anything they could imagine. So he's good. He's great. He's glorious. 
And uh, all we have to do is to trust him. Sounds so simple. Oh, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard. He's worthy of it all. Okay, let's have a word of prayer and then we will. Lord, we thank you that you are a great God and that you're so far greater than our understanding, uh, of our, so far greater than our plans. So God, we just trust you to do all your goodwill. Lord, one day we will stand before you and we will look back and we will see how every tiny detail of our life fit together as part of your perfect plan. Things that we don't understand now, that we won't understand in the future, Lord, they work together for good. And you use them to accomplish your will in our lives. Lord, I thank you that that we can look back at the life of someone like David and we can, can realize that the, the challenges, the dangers that you ordained for his life. And yet, God, we can also see the, the Jonathan that you gave him to stand with him. Lord, you didn't leave him alone. You didn't leave him without encouragement. You put a strong, godly man in his life to help him, to walk with him. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you have in store for us in the future. Lord, I just have to, to pray for Elizabeth this morning. and Thank you for what you're doing in her life in this time, Lord, and the way you're bringing glory to yourself. Lord, the, the nurses, the doctors, the people around are just, what's going on with this woman? How can she respond this way in the light of what she's facing? God, I just pray that through her testimony that, that your gospel will go forth and that many people's lives will be changed, will be, will be drawn closer to yourself. And we'll just give you the honor and the glory for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.